You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. Good morning, Stonegate. It has been a while. I missed y'all. I hope you missed me too. I hope I missed the amen. So I was in Midland on last Sunday. Midland, Texas, y'all. The, the land of the rich. Amen. That's why, that's why I was not there alone. Amen. Went in, left, and came back home. Amen. To the land of Grand Prairie. Uh, my home where I now currently reside. Uh, this morning I've been... Uh, challenge to present the gospel in Psalm 16, through Psalm 16. And so my prayer is not to be before you that long, I pray, uh, uh, man, but I pray that God will be found, found super gracious today in the deliverance of his, his word. Um, psalms are not chapters, they're hymns, they're psalms, they're songs. But we don't identify psalms as chapters, uh, they are hymns. And so we'll be listening to David pray. This is a prayer today that we're going to try to flesh out on this morning. It's a prayer from God, I mean, from David to God uh, in an area that even our staff a few weeks ago was just, we was just convicted, man. And reading this psalm, it just showed all of us Man, how much more of God that we desire, how much of God we really don't have uh, now. And so, uh, and, and in the case with, with some Psalms, there is a context. Like when you read Psalm 51 or, or, or Psalm uh, 34, the backdrop, the, the background of that text is with David and Bathsheba. So you have some kind of context to build from. That is not the case with this psalm, which is why many scholars don't fully know where David is in writing this psalm. People have guessed and assumed. I prayerfully would not do that this morning. Uh, hopefully, the text would drive, I believe, what David is really dealing with in uh, this text. So we're in Psalm, Psalm, Psalm 16. And I'm going to, so we have two things that, that we're going to do. We're going to try to see how David sees God as his portion from verses 1 through 8. And then from 9 to 10, how David sees God as his preserver. But in both in life and after life, David sees God as both Preserver now and later, which lends to my first point that I want to bring out. Uh, we're going to flesh out this idea how David sees God as uh, his exclusive devotion. Uh, we'll see this in verses 1 through 3. Uh, verse 1 reads this. It says, Preserve me, O God, 
for in you I take refuge. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Now, we all know the story of David. David in Psalm 16 was minding his own business when Samuel shows up to his father's house, uh, going there to anoint a young, a young, the Bible describes him as handsome man, that he's going to anoint, but he's also a shepherd. So when Samuel comes and his father presents his six brothers, he says, well, man, well, I, there must be one left. So David is out shepherding sheep. So the party would not start until uh, 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 Eli brings uh, 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 Samuel to the party. Samuel shows up shepherding the sheep. God, that's, I think that's really key in David's plea in verse 1 because David understands that a, that a shepherd is one who keeps safe sheep, which is why I believe in verse 1, David says to God, preserve me, O God. Keep me safe. Guard me, guide me, tend to me because I understand the job of a shepherd and what I've done with the sheep, I'm asking you, oh God, to do with me. Preserve me, keep me, keep me safe. Why? For in you I take refuge. For in you, I, I trust in you to be the safest, not only place, but person for refuge to be found. I love how my friend, homie from up north, Sam Storms, puts it. And, and referring to God as his refuge, he says, God is our safe, soul-satisfying haven of rest. David is saying that since I'm praying for you to, to, to preserve me, I know that it's not to be had without me trusting in you. See, asking God to save us, but not trusting in God to save us makes no sense. He's saying, God, because I trust in you, will you then in turn save me, guard me, keep me safe. Let's see the word for. Preserve me, O God, for. So it's because I trust in you as my refuge, in turn, keep me safe. He moves on to verse 2 saying, I say to the Lord, the Lord in this sense is all caps. It's Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. I say to the Lord, to my Lord, all caps, you are my Lord. Capital L, lowercase o, lowercase r, lowercase d. That's critical in this text. 
Because what David is saying, I say to the Lord, who is the self-existing, self-sustaining, all-creating one, you are now my Adonai. You are my master, my ruler. So David, he's, he's saying, I'm praying to God to be my refuge, but I say to God, who is the creator of all and there is the ruler of all, I have no good apart from you. Now, now that makes sense. Because the God who can create all and is overall, David said, if I put you together, I have nothing without you. So apart from you, I have no what? I have no good. Here's what David is trying to say or trying to convey to God as he's praying to God. I like how he even says in Psalm 73, he says, whom have I in heaven but you? If you take you out of heaven, I do not want heaven. If you are present as the Bible defines in heaven and hell, well, give me hell because in hell I have you. See, God, he actually determines it. So what David is saying, listen, God, when it comes down to the end of the day, I have no good apart from you. But also we read in John 15, 5, that we can do no good apart from God. So to have good and to do good is to first start with God, who is good. David is saying, man, when I look at my life, if I don't have you, I don't have anything. I like how C.S. Lewis says this. He says, he who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. I'm going to say that again so you can catch that thumb. He who has God in everything else has no more than he who has God. Tim Keller says, if God is our greatest good, our highest good, our as John Piper says, our supreme treasure, we get what, what cannot be lost and it will only increase forever. And that is God. Do we have, do we desire this? Do we recognize this? as David does. He says, preserve me because I trust in you. I recognize that you are the self-sustaining, self-existing God who happens also to be ruler of everything and everyone. And because of that, I have no good apart from, from you. David has this delight, this delight in God. Now, this delight in God, it, it, it shifts. It shifts to verse 3. David says, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom I have delight. Now, 
What is David saying? He's saying you, can't, you cannot delight in God and not delight in the people of God. Now, you and I both know there are some saints that we would rather not be around. There are some saints who I would say get on our last cockeyed nerve. That's my phrase, y'all. That's, I mean, I mean, I mean if, if, if I know that this person or this family is in the room, I'd rather not go. But David said, hold up. If I delight in God, I have to also delight in the people of God. I wonder if there's some repenting that needs to go on in the room right now. Because God, there actually, there are some not churchgoers, not bodies, but, but there are some people I really know to be Christians that I just can't stand. When I see them, I, I, I dodge them. I want nothing to do with them. But you cannot say you love God and not love people. Love God who you do not see and not love people who do you see the Bible would call you. I'm not saying it, a liar. Amen. David said that my delight in God, it, it, it bleeds over to my delight in the people and children of God. Here's what I've realized over my past four years being at Stonegate. Community is a grace from God. It's where I get to practice on others what God does consistently in and through me. And some of us, not in this room, at some other church, would rather have everything practiced on them from God but not practice the very same thing on others from God. You cannot say you delight that God is your greatest good, your highest good, your supreme treasure, and yet in the same sentence, in the same day, not delight the saints and the excellent ones the Bible calls them of God. You go on. David says, now, I delight in God. He's, he's my greatest good. So with that, I mean, I delight. My delight is in the people of God. But on the flip side of that, he says, I detest the sin and the idolatry of sinners. So here it is. I delight in God. I delight in God's people. But I detest, watch this now, the sin and idolatry of sinners and not the sinners. We've been called to love our enemies. We've been called to love people who don't look like us, sound like us, dress like us, live around us. We've been called to love them, but not to love the things they do. 
See, and this is such a unique tension because the only one that can give us this heart and this wisdom to do such a thing is God himself. Where, where I can hate what you do and yet still love you at the same time. How many of us, let's be honest, have hated someone, the person, because of the sin they do? When we forget that while we were yet helpless sinners and enemies, God sent his son to die for us. There's a guy at the gym, I won't call his name, I call him Bobby, fake name. Bobby is a homosexual, flaming homosexual. When I walk in the gym, you see that nobody wants nothing to do with Bobby because of Bobby's practice of life. And God, I, 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 I do recall God said, but you got to be different. Stop looking at his behavior and see that Bobby is a man created in my image that needs to know me just like you did before you were lost. I need you to love Bobby. And I need you to show Bobby and tell Bobby that I love him. Now, son, people are going to look at you funny because you're hanging around Bobby. People should look at me funny, God, son, because I save you. But they don't. I'm a good and gracious and I'm, and I'm a merciful God. And I'm asking you to exercise those same things on Bobby who does not behave like you. Y'all, I've been living on, I've been loving Bobby, loving Bobby. I've been loving Bobby. And the only person that Bobby would even come talk to in the gym is me now. Now, Bobby's not saved. But I believe that God has placed me in his life to love not what he does, but to love him as a person. Because at the end of the day, he's created in God's image. How about you? Have God given you a unique wisdom and gentleness to love the person but not to sin. Paul says, I became all things to all people that I might win some. Now, we don't join them in the sin because Paul says, I didn't, I didn't join them in the drink offerings of blood being poured out. I didn't do that. In fact, I didn't even take the, the God's name even on my lips. But I love them and not what they did. So you see how, you see David has this, this, this strong devotion. So we ought to have this, this strong devotion for God. We, we, we ought to detest the sin in idolatry and not the sinners. I love it because, because, because I believe Jeremiah gives us insight. I mean, when, when we see people who is loving idolatry and loving sin, I think uh, Isaiah gives us just a little bit of insight on what's going on. 
He says, all who fashion, all who fashion idols are nothing, and, and the things they delight in do not profit. <laughs> the witnesses neither see nor know that they may be put to shame who fashions a God or cast an idol that is profitable for nothing. Who does that? Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame, and the craftsmen are only human. Let them all be assembled. Let them stand forth. They shall be terrified. They shall be put to shame together. David was so diligent to avert his eyes from the lesser beauty of sin, idolatry, and even self because David understood that loving God results in avoiding the things that displeases God. So David, he had an exclusive devotion to God. He delighted in God. He delighted, we are to, he delighted in the saints. He detested the sin and idolatry of sinners. But David, he also, in verses 5 through 6, delighted in God. Look what, I think, I think that verse 5 and 6 is simply a fleshing out of verses 2. David says, the Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. The lions have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Now, if you take this imagery, I think that one would say that David is using language back to Joshua and Moses where they handed out lots or land. But David is past that. So let me put it to you in how I see it today. Remember, I think it's, this is still David saying he delights in God. Now, y'all, a brother likes to go to Golden Corral. Uh, and that's one on 20, y'all, that's, that, that's, that's off the chain, that, that serves some good food. I mean, their food is good off the chain. Good. They serve some really good food, y'all. I mean, excellent food. Man, I, I go to man and, and they got this big old buffet out for us. I said, man, pick what you want. It's all yours. And it only costs $13.99. Have the steak, whatever you want, you can have it. You choose the portion. I believe that God has put a buffet in front of all of us. One dish, there's a, a perfect marriage. One dish, there is perfect health. One main dish is an obedient spouse and children. Praise God. One dish is a good and selfless boss. But all of these dishes don't have God in them. And I wonder if God was to put before you a successful career, would you choose that and not choose him? 
If God was to put before you CEO of this Fortune 500 uh, company making big bucks and no whammies, would you choose that over him? If God gave you this fine and fine husband or tight wife, would you want that? Absent of God being in it. But let's say God gives you counsel and he's in it. Gives you a troubled marriage, but he's in it. Gives you a rocky career, but he's in it. What portion would you pick? If the truth be told, there have been times where I've chosen the portion without God. Just give me relief. I think that some of us have done the same thing. We've chosen the portion that is absent of God because in our flesh, with our sinful nature, we think that would be better. But that was not the case of David. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. Cup. He said, you hold my lot, going back to God's sovereignty, that you, that you know the way that I go. You, you, you know all of that. And I'm going to choose your way and not my way. Man, when I look at it, he's saying, man, God, you've laid out for me, man, a road that is full of pleasure. And my inheritance is, is, is great. But let me go back. I don't think David is really talking about land. I think what David is really trying to get us to focus on, that God, he, he gives us these borders, these, he, this allotment for one aim and purpose. And the writer of Acts sees this. He says this in Acts 17. And he, God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. So God has chosen where everyone is to be on earth. Having determined allotted periods in the boundaries of their dwelling place. I've given you a place to be and I've put borders around it. But why God? I'm glad y'all asked, asked some good questions. He says that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him <laughs> and find him. God has said, I put you in a place with borders that you may seek me and find me. Yet he is actually not far from each of us. God is not trying to play hide and seek. See, I put you in a place with borders to, to find me. I'm going to lead you towards me. This is how gracious and how good our God is to those who found him. 
He's put you in a place around a person that you may seek, find, and come to know him. And here's the end. For in him we live and move and have our being. God says, I put you in this place at this time to find me that I might become your all. We not can say what David said. If you found Christ, surely he is my chosen portion and my cup. You, you hold my, my lot. The lines have fallen from me in pleasant places. Indeed, my inheritance, because it is you, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. So we, we should have this exclusive devotion to God. We should, we should detest the sin and idolatry of sinners. We, we should be delighted in God. But then look what, look what David says. Yes, we should be. That, that, that when we are doing or, or, or going about what David is, that we would then have endless direction. And verse 7, David says, I... Bless the Lord who gives me counsel. Now, let me stop and show y'all in a picture on how I didn't do any of this. A few years ago, man, it's been a while now, uh, I was visiting, going to different Walmarts, decked down, starched jeans, matching from top to bottom. Why? Trying to find me a wife. Going to Walmart, Applebee's, even Cheddar's. I'm trying to find my wife. She's somewhere in here. So I'm going to find her. And man, so I go, man, I'm going. So I, I knew that on Sundays between 12 and 2, the rest of us were, were packed. And I would go there, man, I'd go home, change, take, take me a brand new shower, get dressed up, y'all go there and try to find me a wife. Then I had a friend of mine, he said, man, let me help you out. I said, yeah, man, give, me, give my brother some advice. He said, man, what size do you want your wife to be? I said, a six. He said, man, why don't you go to your store, which at that time it was Marshalls or Ross in Dillard's. I went to Marshalls. Went to the clearance rack, y'all know, y'all, I'm cheap. Bought me some polo jeans, size six. He said, man, let's hang those jeans on your bedpost. Went down, said, when you hang them on the bedpost, when you pray, pray that God might fill them. I said, you're a genius. That's, that's, you're smart. That's, that's what have I been doing the whole time? Wasting money and time going to Walmart, trying to find me a wife. Y'all say, y'all, listen, listen, listen. Y'all left me, but I did it. <laughs> Got me a size six polo jeans. Put them on the bathroom, and every night I went to bed. Y'all, a brother was celibate for three years. I was struggling, amen. I needed a wife. Like, now. <laughs> I'm praying, praying. So, one Sunday, I'm actually watching the, uh, the Dallas Cowboys lose, like usual. <laughs> I get a phone call. It's my boy, 
Matt, Valentine, I got some for you. I said, do you? He said, yeah. I said, man, what, what do you have? Man, I, got, I have two women. They saved. No Jesus. And I think one of the two might be the one. I said, oh, yeah. Describe them to me. He just went on to describe them. He said, man, they love Jesus, of course. Okay, okay, they love Christ. Okay, that's cool. He said, man, but one of them is leaving, going to Houston. I said, Houston? If if she leaves, I said, man, keep going. But she's going to get a job at NASA. I said, NASA? Tell her to call me. If NASA can hire her, I can definitely date her. She's passed all security clearances. <laughs> I know she's good. <laughs> Tell the car, man. I, I know, I know, I know, I know she's good. I, I, I know she's on it. Man, she calls me. Hello? Now, y'all know that our brother stutters. I tried so hard for six hours not, not to stutter. What's going on? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm chilling. Yeah, I'm chilling. Oh, yeah? This conversation went on for six hours. Can I say, I married her? Amen? You said, now why is he saying this? Because despite my folly, despite me not, me not ask, me asking God to preserve me and me not wanting to trust him, despite me not delighting in him and, and, and all of these things, God, he blessed me that even in the midst of me making unwise decisions, God's counsel won in my life. Because if the truth be told, man, none of us, always make the greatest choices. But have we not found God to be gracious with the choices we've made? See, even with this, even with this, even with this, so, so, so you can understand that, that, that David, that David, he, he is blessing the Lord who gives counsel. He says, also, in the night he instructs me, or he instructs me, now, now, it's good to know where David is getting counsel at. God gives counsel in the, in the, in the control center where the feelings and emotions are. God gives God's counsel, it goes deep. And because of that, David, he praises God for the counsel that he has given him. Now, can I ask you a question? God has given us, many of us, most times, Great counsel. When was the last time you praised God for it? David said, I bless God. I bless him. I praise him for the counsel he gives. Even in the night, he instructs me. David goes on to say that that I've set the Lord always before me. And because he's at my right hand, I will not be Shaken. He goes from God, save me, preserve me, guard me, keep.
keep me so I will not be shaken. We see here at verse 8 that, that, that with, with him saying that the law is always with me, he's simply saying that God is always present with me. Him being at my right hand is simply saying he's always willing and able to protect me. So because God is a preserver and he is also present and he also is a protector, I have no reason to be shaken. Now here is David speaking about or speaking on God being his portion in life. But there's a twist in the story. There's a twist in, in the narrative. David says in verse 9, Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh, it also dwells securely. Now look, look at this. So he understands that David, that, that God is his portion. And because of that in life, David says, now my heart is glad. Because of all of this, I'm now going to rejoice in my heart that God has been this for my life. So that's in life. But David is also looking forward. See, somehow, some way, God, he, he let David in on something. Because look at what he says here in verse 10. For you, God, will not abandon my soul in Sheol and let your Holy One, the one that you've given a purpose to, the one that you've called out to do your job, you won't allow him to see corruption. Now, doesn't that sound familiar? Now, David is talking about himself. And David is able to say that God would not allow him to see corruption. David is speaking about this situation and this season of life. And he's not speaking and regarding him forever. Because we know that David, he does die. David's body does corrupt. But what is David getting at with this? Let's keep reading. You make known to me the path of life. I mean, now I'm seeing what you are doing. You've made known, you are revealing stuff to me in this path of life. And in your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures evermore. David, what are you saying? That in this season of my life, here's what I know. God is going to preserve me from death, not allow my body to be what? Corrected all to see decay, and God's going to have me in his presence that I may experience the fullness of joy and have pleasures forevermore. Who is David referring to ultimately when he's talking about this? Well, Peter and Paul has insight on this particular psalm. When you read in Psalm, uh, 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 when you read in Acts, Acts chapter, Acts chapter uh, uh, 2, here's what Peter says about this. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, 
a man attested to by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised them up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, him, Christ, the one they killed, David says this, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also dwelled in hope. For you would not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One, capital letters, see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Last paragraph. Brothers, this is Paul, this is Peter. I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried. David, when he quoted this song, was not referring to himself. David died and is buried. And he says, his tomb is still with us today. Being therefore a prophet, though, though, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. In Revelation 22, the Bible calls Jesus the root and descendant of David. He made David, but also he came from David. David, uh, 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 Jesus. And then it says, for he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Scientists say that, man, that, that, that when a person dies, that after uh, three days, uh, the body begins to decay. That was not the case with, with Christ. And in three days, he got up again when his body could not and did not decay. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For us that are in this room, this, this expression of faith that David displayed some years ago is possible because Christ did eventually conquer death through the resurrection. David, in the instance, in the moment, he conquered death because God delivered him in that moment, but David still did eventually die. But God, we see here, he conquered death by having one to die for all, therefore all died. And since one have died for all, the Bible says that us who live, pray that we, we, we no longer live for ourselves, but for him who for our sake died and was raised again. See, what is encouraging to me that even David 
writing what he wrote, and us knowing that David did not totally fulfill what he wrote, he knew by faith that one day Jesus would. And that's where our faith is, is today. No one in here is fully devoted to God. No one here fully detests sin and yet is able to die for sinners. No one fully delights in God. No one fully sees God as their supreme treasure. No one here listens and does all that God has said and done but Jesus. He has done that for all of us. So when you read the psalm, 16, I encourage you, put yourself in the story. But like David did, remember the only one who's fully satisfied, who's fully done all, and who still lives and has empowered us to do what we ourselves cannot do through the work and power of the Spirit. Let's lean on God. Let's trust in Jesus. And let's, like David, ask God, preserve me. Keep me safe. For in you, I trust as my refuge. I have no good apart from you. Help me to make you my portion and my cup. You are, he says, my lot. You give me counsel. Make my heart glad. Because Jesus is the one who came and rose again without sin and corruption. And who now lives and makes intercessions for us. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.